Well, it's been one year and 18 days since the start of NHL training camps, and we're finally in the day one of NHL postseason. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick Morgan from On The Forecheck. This is another OTF one-timers. And uh, today I have two gentleman callers, Sean Smith from On The Forecheck. Hi, Sean. Hey, Nick. <laughs> and uh, we also have our resident child, Aiden Smith, from On The Port, uh, on the Forecheck. Shut up, Dad. <laughs> hey, I'm not the one with your last name. That's uh, true. Yeah. So, uh, a lot to get to this week. Uh, we have uh, David Poyle's press conference uh, that revealed uh, some pretty telling plans about the Predator's future. Uh, we have a little bit of uh, Stanley Cup Finals discussion. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Lightning under your new uh, Stanley Cup champions. How much of the finals did you guys watch? I didn't I didn't get to watch as much as I wanted to. Um, I was able to see, I think I saw game four and maybe game five pretty much in their entirety, but um, I, I missed last night completely, and I kind of regret it. I, I got to watch most of the games. Um, I skipped out on, I think, game one, which ended up being, like, the game. Yeah, that was the best one, though, wasn't it? No, game one was the one where the Stars kind of uh, clobbered him. I think it was, like, a 4-1 Stars win or something, and then the rest of them were really competitive. What was the <laughs> what was the Radulov OT winner? That was, like, game three, I think, or game two. But I'm, I, I, <laughs> I don't remember the order of the game. That's the game I missed. Um, is just that one, and then I watched the rest of the series. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's 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 a sports fog for me. Um, it's like there's there's so much going on that I kind of like losing track of like what's been going on. So anyway, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna talk more about that in a little bit. Plus, some Predators Stanley Cup trivia for you. I'm gonna add, quiz both of you. Oh God! Uh, this is this is not the question we had earlier today. This is a brand new one. Uh, so if you followed us on Twitter, you know um, the the question that we were asking was: Can you name the two predators who have been on the Stanley Cup? Two, pro- I'm sorry, two predators draft picks who have their names on the Stanley Cup. Uh, the one no one got was Andrew Hutchinson. There's a, there's a blast from the past. I'm not surprised. Yeah, uh, obviously Hornquist, the other one. But um, let's start with the Pred stuff today. So David Poyle um, and a couple other Predators front office gentlemen um, had their end of season, I guess, state of the team address today. Um, kind of talking about the team's off season plans. Um, Sean, you actually listened in on this and. Uh, I think, you know, we'll get into specific points in a minute, but I think the big takeaway was that next year's roster is not going to look anything like the one we saw in the playoffs this year. No, not at all. And, I mean, to just as briefly as I can state it, because I know we'll get into more specific things momentarily, the best quote I really have that can sum it up was what when Poyle said, made the comment you're you're going to have a team that's going to go from being one of the older teams in the league to being one of the younger teams in the league in a very short period of time all right well amen 
Oh, are, am I supposed to chime in here with some sort of knowledge on this? Like, I mean, I... Do you have knowledge? I mean, I, I read thing that Sean put out today, uh, yeah. but I don't, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to say here. I mean, he, he basically just covered the breadth of it. The, the main thing that kind of frustrated me um, was I'm glad that we're infusing youth into the lineup, but there are a couple of players that we'll get to in a minute where he basically let out that, you know, they're going to be let go and a couple more players who are going to be mainstays in the lineup where what he said about them didn't really compute with me. And I kind of started short circuiting and, you know, freaking out and getting angry. And I had to calm myself down. So uh, I, I think I know the one in particular we're talking about, but um, let's kind of talk over the overview and let's go through it one by one. Um, so basically from the sounds of it, David Poyle basically sound, said that everybody who was, you know, a remaining free agent, or at least the big ones, which was Craig Smith, Mikhail Granlund, um, Corbinian Holzer, and um, what, what am I thinking of? Yannick Weber. Yeah. Uh, basically said those four um, will, will not be back in no uncertain terms. I, th- I think, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like Weber was the only probably in that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what he said was Granlin and Smith uh, would be exploring free agency. He said blatantly and bluntly that Holzer would not be back, which I don't know how deeply you want me to get into my opinions on that, but um, that's, in my opinion, a good thing. Um, and then he said with Weber that, that you know, that, uh, you know, based on what conversations they're having, he's going to explore his options in free agency, which may really be a nice way of, of – Poyle saying that they're going to not really negotiate any kind of anything with him. Um, now he did mention Blackwell, and that's the name that you didn't mention. Um, and I, that kind of got lost in the shuffle because it was thrown in toward the end of the whole thing. And um, basically, he did say that they were having talks with Colin Blackwell. Um, and he said that there are some negotiations, which is a lot more than he was saying for any of the others that remain. But he also did make it clear that Blackwell has to weigh his opportunities. I think they see him as someone that could have a future here, but I also don't think they're as um, committed to him as some other players they're committed to, because I think they, they typically on this team, they want, everybody to kind of get the best they could get. And so if there's someone that they're not looking at as a long-term down the road kind of player, then they, they don't really seem to have a problem with them going somewhere else and getting more money. Um, but the whole money thing, I mean, again, I can get very, very specific when you want me to, but the whole money thing is going to play a huge issue in this anyway. Right. And, you know, uh, I'll go to Eamon on this. Eamon, um, overall, we know the Preds are, you know, not not up against the cap maybe right now, um, but we do see kind of a situation moving forward where they could be, um, you know, two or three years really tight if they don't, you know, start making some decisions about that. So let's start with Smith and Granlin. I think there is, you know, we, we kind of knew they were going to test free agency um, going into this. But were you surprised that, you know, Poyle maybe is not as, I, I don't know the right word, maybe, in, you know, maybe yeah, they're not a priority at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
with Granlund, I felt like that was a foregone conclusion. Um, as soon as he said that early um, and disclosed that early, like that, you know, he was going to be testing free agency. That came out long before Smith, and I believe it came out from Smith's camp rather than the Predators that he was going to be testing free agency. Um, and a lot of people just kind of found out through the conduit of the team or like uh, another media outlet. But um, yeah, the the Smith thing frustrates me a whole lot more because basically today what he said is that. Um, it, it looks like they're not going to be coming to any kind of agreement when it comes to Smith. I don't know if that's, you know, a gap apart on money or if they just don't think he's worth bringing back anymore. I understand the whole idea of you need to reload the roster with youth. And I've seen a lot of people who are like, well, you know, this move kind of makes sense. He's a 30 year old guy. Um, he's probably going to be on the downside of his career. He's looking for a three-year term. He's probably going to be asking for more money than most people would expect. And that kind of is a bit of a squeeze on the team, especially in an era where we're having a flat cap right now because of the pandemic. But Craig Smith was one of the most valuable players on this team last year, especially for his contract value. I wouldn't even be upset with paying him upwards of 4.6 or 4.7 million per year for three years. And if the team doesn't look at him at that kind of value, I'm a little bit concerned with what they're doing in terms of player evaluation for that bottom six. There were a couple other comments that David Poyle made today that like kind of shook me up a little because I don't, I don't love to doubt a GM's ability to evaluate players because obviously I'm not a general manager. I've not been a professional scout or anything, but there are a couple of these players that uh, I feel like Poyle has misevaluated recently where I look at them and I'm like, how, how do you look at these guys and think, yeah, this is fine. The role I'm sliding them into is fine. I think we'll get to one or two of them in the next couple of minutes when it comes to news surrounding the team and quotes from David Poyle today. But, uh, you know, the immediate one that comes to mind, if I want to just segue into the next topic, is Jared Tenorti. Um, does not look like an NHL defenseman, and, you know, David Poyle seems to not think that. So the Smith thing plus that and maybe one or two other comments today gives me a little bit of concern about the GM's ability to evaluate roster talent for the near future for this team. And I, I really am just... I'm not pleased with the idea of letting Smith walk. You're losing a lot of offensive value there that you're going to really struggle to recreate or reproduce. And I, I, I mean, the team's going to have upwards of 8 million in cap space heading into free agency if they don't do any other extensions or buyouts or anything like that. Um, but that kind of remains to be seen. Okay. So but you did mention it and um, you know, Sean, I'll ask you since you listened in, um, I think I think the comment that a lot of people were talking about uh, on Twitter earlier today, um, it, it was David Poyle talking about players that he wants to see in bigger roles next year. Um, and he mentioned specifically, I think he said Jared Tenorti um, was one he wanted to see in a big, in a bigger role next year. Um, were you were you surprised when you heard that? Because Jared Tenorti did not get a lot of ice time in the postseason, And, you know, I, I kind of got the impression watching him that I'm not sure John Hines trusted him enough to put him out there in key minutes. Well, first, I want to say that I thought Tenorti had a pretty decent training camp when they did the return to play. And I was surprised he didn't get more ice time based on what I saw. And, and realistically, uh, you know, I'm going to say this. I wasn't surprised to hear him say what he said today. It, 
it made sense if you look at the bigger picture, which I'm, again, not sure how in-depth you want me to go, but I'm going to start going there. Um, a lot of, I feel like, the construction of this team looking into this next season is going to be based off of money and the fact that there is a flat cap. And Poyle even commented that he didn't feel like he had a lot of flexibility um, in the way of picking up free agents. Now, of course, I'd, I'd, I'll say some more about free agency in Poyle's comments later, but the one thing I want to point out is that Tenorti's only going to cost the team $700,000 a year to play, and that is just for one more season, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. So what I think is really appealing about Tenorti is that he doesn't cost a lot of money, and there's no long-term commitment. So the other players that he mentioned, and he mentioned specifically um, Carrier coming up from Milwaukee and playing on that third pair with Jared Tenorti, and I think you're looking at a, a team that wants to bring in someone from within the organization um, to, to be on the team. They don't seem to be doing, doing, they don't seem to want to be doing a lot of bringing in people from outside. He kind of commented that he felt like they've had more success with people that are already in the organization because they are familiar with the team and the way it works in the quote predator way, unquote. Um, but Carrier has been in the system for a long time and I think it would be very easy for them to trust him um, in the, you know, short term that you would have to have him playing as on a pairing with Tenorti. But the thing I'll say is that if, if you're getting rid, if you're looking at our third pairing from last year, if you look at what the Predators were dealing with in, in the rotation, you know, you, you had Matter one, and he's one of the worst in the league. You had, for whatever reason, you traded him for Holzer, who is also one of the worst in the league, although somehow not as bad as Matter one. You're looking at, you know, your your third pairing, or really, I guess, the the sixth defenseman in that rotation that, that kind of go you cycle through between Weber and Holzer and Irwin and Tenorti and these guys. And really if you if you had to pick one of those guys, Tenorti's all probably going to be your best bet. And I know that doesn't sound very promising, but we've got to remember that the third pairing is what it is, and it has a specific role to play. Um, Tenorti is not the greatest defender. He's not a very offensive um, defender either, but one thing he does have, and and I will say this because this came up in what Poyle was saying too, is he has grit, and they do need some players on the team with grit because if you're going to be forced into a more physical game, you want somebody like Tenorti in there to, to start knocking heads around, whereas you've had to rely on someone like Austin Watson before who basically is a punching bag whenever he starts a fight. Can I play devil's advocate there for a second, though? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 Eamon, feel free to jump in on this, too. But, you know, because I, I have heard that argument, Sean, about, uh, you know, the third, the third pair is the third pair. Um, you know, I think one – when we talked about this earlier this season on, on the forecheck, we had a, one of our loyal commenters – chimed in and said, you know, look, you, you can't expect them to be like Roman Yossi out there. And that's true. But when you look specifically, let's look at the Preds playoff series against the Coyotes. Um, 
I, I think it was Weber and Tenorti were kind of the go-to. Um, they played, I think, tops averaged about eight minutes a night. Arizona's third pairing, which wasn't great either, played 16 minutes a night. And, you know, you look, you look back to, you know, kind of some of the recent cup winners. You know, St. Louis had Joel Edmondson on their third pair. Um, you know, Tampa Bay rotated guys just in and out. Um, so I guess my argument to that would be, sure, like you, your third pair is going to be the third pair, but you still need to get meaningful minutes from them. And I think that's the argument a lot of people have had this year with the Preds was that when they're not when they're on the ice they're not really they're not only providing unmeaningful minutes but they're not really helping can i can i jump in here um i would say that my point differs a little bit from nick my main thing is just that you're talking about the main the main draw for tenority is cheap and he can play the bottom pair of minutes and hit people um i have a couple of big issues with that argument the first one being uh physicality really nice i love physical players you need to be good in order to make that an asset to your game and especially what really helps is if you're fast um if you're able to apply that physicality by gapping up effectively checking guys into the boards using your size the problem is jared tenorti is a six foot five six foot six traffic cone out there um I don't know how much of the postseason you got to watch, Sean. I'm sure a good bit of it. Uh, there were just so many plays out there. We got absolutely embarrassed by a kind of lackluster forward core in Arizona. Especially can think of one goal that he allowed, he directly caused, where he tried to break the puck out by himself at the blue line, got stripped, and then was so slow that he couldn't even contest the back check uh, in order to prevent the goal. It was pathetic. He just got absolutely embarrassed out there by an Arizona team that, again, got embarrassed in the next round by the Colorado Avalanche. And we thoroughly dominated play for the most part for all of their players. He was one of the ones who looked completely outclassed out there. I don't think it's a fair argument to say, well, it's the third pair. You just get what you get out of them when I am of the opinion that we have better internal options in the organization that maybe the GM isn't considering enough, especially I know – we're, we're having to, you know, remain in the realm of realism here, but Frederick Allard is toiling in Milwaukee right now. He's playing that third pair role for the most part, or second pair role. He rotates in between. Um, we know from Eric that the main reason they're putting him in limited minutes there and making him a penalty killer and working on that is because they think he's a really effective player in that role. And I think that that gives me faith that they think he could probably play a third pair role in the NHL. What I don't understand is the failure to see that he brings more potential in that role and is probably a better player on day one, just by his skating ability alone than Jared Tenorti is. Uh, And it's really infuriating to watch because this team seemingly can draft and develop great defensemen when it comes to the top four, but just never have a good bottom pairing. And it's been a weakness consistently of Predators teams. Oh, I don't know if I'd go that far. It's it's not it's not always terrible, but like if you look in recent years, I mean, some people would disagree on this. I thought Alexi Emlin was painful to watch. He was one of those guys where he was trying to throw the body more than he was trying to make a play on the puck. Um, he kind of, you know, I mean, 
he he was one of the better ones that we've had in years past, but it was pretty telling that Poyle let him walk and then he never really got legitimate offers or playing time anywhere else. Uh, the main example of like a solid bottom pair defender who's a veteran lately was uh, not this year, but previous year of Dan Ham use. He was pretty solid in that role. He's not a guy who's going to score a lot of points, but he's not going to make some massive embarrassing mistake and he could still skate okay at that point. Um, I just, it's infuriating to me. I understand the Carrier, uh, the Carrier point because, I mean, I'm not the biggest Carrier fan. I think he's probably just going to be a six, and that's as high as he ever goes in his career. But he can be a really good sixth defenseman, um, and I would love to see him in more time in that role because he looked pretty solid when he was playing that uh, in the regular season. What I haven't understood for this year and you know years past is why when you have those options in the organization when Carrier has been getting seasoned for years at this point do you just sit back on your heels and go yeah I'm content with sending Yannick Weber and Matt Irwin out there I think it's just kind of uh throwing the hands up in the air and going yeah the third pair is what it is and I I don't know that that's really smart roster construction I think they should give the younger guys a little bit more of a look especially with Allard I know Davies is a adventure in his own end and you don't want to see that on the third pair you don't want guys to be taking big chances or having lapses in defensive concentration but I think Allard and Carrier are the two guys that you could easily point to and go these two can fill in they're going to be just as cost effective as Holzer or not Holzer to Nordy it's sad that I mixed those two up um you know like they're they're both tall people they're both tall and they're both very bad um but you know, the, the main thing is just you have two guys who are ELCs who both offer much higher upside than any of the options you've been considering on that third pair previously. I think it's ridiculous to say, yeah, we should be looking at Jared Tenorti to get more ice time. That's what was wrong with this team is we needed more Jared Tenorti. This is the same thing that came up at the trade deadline where David Poyle looked at this roster, looked at Dante Faber struggling on the second pair and then goes, yeah, well, we don't feel like we're really being pushed to add another defenseman to add support to this group or, you know, our goalie who's kind of bailing us out every single night because we have Jared Tenorti who's been really good lately. And I'm like, what games are you watching, David? Uh, He's getting turnstiled all the time. He's supposed to be a big dude who hits people and stuffs them at the blue line. And yet every single time a guy goes wide with speed on him, he blows past him and gets to the net. He's terrible at, you know, preventing traffic in front. He's terrible at clearing the crease. He's bad at almost everything. He just kind of gets away with the occasional play. And I think the main thing is that I noticed when I was going back and watching some stuff on him is Yannick Weber, I don't think is nearly as bad as we thought he was. I thought Yannick Weber was terrible until I went back and watched. He's pretty good at sealing guys into the boards for a third pair defenseman. He's not good per se, um, but he's he's better than we gave him credit for. And while he was playing with Weber, Weber kind of covered for a lot of his mistakes. Same with Hamus. Hamus had some really glaring errors this year, but he was a okay third pairing defenseman. Um, in the, in context with some of the other options we're looking at, so I just it infuriates me when I hear, yeah, we really need to be bringing back Jared Tenorti. He's going to get more ice time. Like that that's counterintuitive to this team's success. If you're trying to hurt the team 
and win fewer games so that you can go into a rebuilding mode, then sure, that's the right move. But I don't think that's what they're trying to do with this roster, which is why the decision-making at the trade deadline baffled me, and which is why a couple of the comments today kind of bugged me too, especially this one and then the Colton Sissons one, which I think we're going to get into in a little bit here. Well, I think too, and just, I mean, we kind of need to put what I would call the Jared Genorti monster to bed here really quick. But I think one upside that you're kind of missing on him staying in Nashville is that uh, he gets to live rent free in your head when he's here. So, <laughs> you know, and, the, and he's got a whole season to come track down Amen now. So. A whole season of just living, living in there. And I guess the thing is, you know, I know he's not very good guys. I'm not sitting here saying that he's, you know, he's going to win the Norris next year. I'm just saying that for now, I think he may just be a placeholder until they feel like Davies is ready. And I think once that happens, you'll probably start seeing uh, Carrier and Davies together on the third pairing. I just, I worry yep. that because of the phrasing of it. Because if he had said, yeah, we think he's going to be a regular player with us, but, you know, he's probably still in that same role, then I'm less scared about it. But I think they don't see him that way. I think they see him as a guy who can rotate between the five and the four if Dante Favreau is having a rough year again. Um, and that scares the crap out of me. Like, he should not be playing more than, you know, eight or ten minutes a night uh, in your ideal situation. He's that terrible. And, like, you're going to have your third pair out there for longer than that. So it's just, it stinks. I, I disagree, you know, earlier. I, I kind of get Sean's point where it's like, uh, Tenorti is not going to be getting a lot of ice time in the postseason because you have Yossi and Ellis and Ekholm who are just going to be out there constantly, and they look at Fabro as a guy who can do that. I disagree with that, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the one positive here is, you know, if we're arguing this long about the third defensive pair, you know, Predators have some pretty good bright spots elsewhere. You know, don't have some major problems. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so Oh no, wait. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean in in fairness, they're they're not the Detroit Red Wings right now. No. Um <laughs> I think, uh, my, favorite, my favorite thing uh from the Red Wings this week was when somebody asked Steve Eiserman about the Mark Stahl trade and Eiserman was more excited about the second round pick they got. So yeah, that, that gives you clarity on that. Um, Amond uh, mentioned the other big point, um, and Sean, I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, Colton Sissons—that's another guy who David Poyle said um, he wanted to see play a bigger role. I think you and I and Brian were talking about this in a previous episode um, that there's going to be like some opportunities either on the third or second line. Where do you see Sissons maybe fitting in well next year? So a, a couple of things I can say about that. Um, first, those comments about Sissons weren't specifically saying Sissons is going to play a larger role on this team. It was more so kind of in the vein of we need to see if there are guys currently on the roster that can step into a larger role. Uh, just to kind of clarify, it wasn't just like this outright guarantee like Sissons has arrived. He's moving to the second line. No, and of course. You know, it, he does have the uh, the versatility to play both center and on the wing. And so I feel like, and just, I don't know, I feel like if you have that 
third line um, that may possibly be left two-thirds intact with Nick Bonino and Rocco Grimaldi. We know that Smith is leaving. That might be the wing spot that Sisson steps into. That's not a huge promotion, but it's more than what he's playing now. That also came on the heels of Poyle saying that one of the things they really wanted to see was after they'd had such a long break and everybody had had a chance to get healthy and kind of stop reeling from the turmoil created by a coaching change halfway through the season was, are the players that they think are going to be the top players going to be able to be the top players? And in that sense, he said specifically, he thought Philip Forsberg looked great. He thought Johansson had a really good, qualifying round I thought he did too I thought he looked probably better than anybody did in practice and I thought he was one of the brightest spots on the ice during the series against Arizona and he also said that Arvidsson was finally healthy and healed and recuperated and thought he looked great too he didn't mention anyone else and so that tells me that when they're looking at their second line they're looking at their third line um, or really the second line I guess is that you know he never mentioned Duchesne's name. And I feel like if he'd been impressed with Duchesne at the qualifying round, he might have mentioned that, but he didn't. And so that question is, okay, is Duchesne going to be the person they thought he was going to be? Because they got Kyle Turris, which he also spoke about, but they got Kyle Turris and were expecting big things and those big things didn't show up. So now they've gotten Duchesne and I think they're afraid they may end up in a similar situation. So they want to know, okay, is Duchesne going to step up and play the way they expect him to play? And if not, do we have anybody on the team that can step into that role? And if we don't, what do we need to do to make it happen? And just how is that going to be addressed in this offseason was really where that comment about Sissons came from, as opposed to just saying, you know, your new uh, second line center, Colton Sissons, has arrived. It wasn't. No, and I wasn't trying to implicate that. It just said, I think he said, what, he's one of those people that he thinks could play. Um, I mean, you know, you know the exact wording that I did, but it was like one of those guys that. I think, I think he was kind of talking about versatility, his ability right. to play in a lot of different places. Right. Um, which is something Callie Yarncro can do, too. Right. He didn't mention um, his name either. <laughs> well, it's as we found out this week, it's really easy to forget Callie Yarncroke, even though he, <laughs> I thought even though I thought he was one of the Preds' best players. For some reason, I always keep forgetting he's on the team. Hmm. Um, our boss yes. is not going to be happy with me on that one. No. Dude, you're fired already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, our OTF editor, Kate, big uh, Callie Yarncroke stan, as I would say. Yeah. Yarncroke number one in her book. It's yeah. big time. So, so let's talk about Duchesne a little bit, because I think that's the second line is definitely, it sounds like it's going to be Poyle's pet project. And it sounds like, most of the uh, who gets to play with Duchesne sweepstakes is going to come from within. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I think in the last press conference, he mentioned um, Ely Tolvanen as one guy who he projects playing really well next to him. Um, Who are some other guys either on this current roster or either somewhere in the system that you think could translate pretty well to that second line? Uh, so, you know, he mentioned several guys coming from Milwaukee, 
in in this conversation today. And the names that kept getting thrown around were, and there's three of them, that was Tolvanen, Pitlick, and of course Trennan. Those were names that kept being spoken over and over again. Um, and really it seemed more so like he was talking about Tolvanen and Pitlick over Trennan, uh, although I think the expectation was that Trennan would see the roster, you know, just like anyone else would. Um, but it seemed like that emphasis on Tolvanen and Pitlick, Pitlick maybe felt to me like he thought those guys had a pretty solid chance of coming in and playing uh, big numbers. And, you know, you, you may think, okay, well, if you look at training camp, Tolvanen, um, as well as Pitlick, you know, they showed up to training camp. I thought Pitlick specifically looked outstanding in training camp, but did not make the traveling team and did not go to the bubble with them. So it seems kind of funny, like, well, why would they, why would they bring this guy up next year if he didn't even travel with the team? But that could also be based on need and how they see him fitting into the roster. So um, if you're looking for guys within the organization that have a chance to come in and do that, I'd look to those guys. I did. And I'm going to, I'm going to use this opportunity to throw this out there. The one name that he wasn't saying when he, and I'm talking about Poyle, the one name he wasn't saying was Philip Tomasino. And I asked him specifically, you know, you, you've talked a lot about, these guys in Milwaukee, but if you go a little deeper in the organization, you get to Philip Tomasino. What do you think the chances are of him being in Nashville next season are? And he, he kind of got a little, a little twinkle in his eye when that name was spoken out loud. It was like you'd said Beetlejuice for the third time or something. And he was like, Oh, Philip Tomasino. Um, This little bit of whimsy kind of came over him. And he, he, you could tell from the way he talked that, I don't think he wants to come out and say that they want Tomasino on the team next year, but this goes back to something that Brian said a long time ago this season was that he, he the plan was to buy out tourists and bring in Tomasino and use the uh, Tomasino savings, if you will, as a way to offset that uh, cap hit that you would have to take, the penalty you'd have to take because of the tourist buyout. Um, so I think Tomasino is somebody that if they bring him in and they like what they see, he has the potential to play pretty high too, because his style of play, I don't think would work very well on the fourth line. And I certainly don't think it would work very well on a more defensive minded third line either. Yeah. I mean, he seems like a, seems like a scoring liner back to the juniors this year. Um, even I'm curious your thoughts on this, uh, who, you know, Sean mentioned a couple of names. Is there a wild card you see that could maybe make an impact on that? Um, I mean, obviously you have to talk about Tolvanen. Um, you know, Sean talked about Pitlick, which is a pretty, a pretty good name too. I love Ren Pitlick. I think he's going to be a breakout candidate next year. He fits the Pred system so well when it comes to getting rush attempts and, uh, just, the pure speed is there. The shot is there. The aggression is there. He's such a smart player. Um, so that probably would have been my initial pick, but he took it from me. So I'll go with Ellie Tolvanen. Um, I think the season he had in Milwaukee was a bit underrated. I, I didn't watch every game in Milwaukee this year, but I got a solid 15. And uh, he, he looked great in every single game I watched. He was just not finishing for a little bit there. And then towards the end of the year, he started to pick up his goal scoring and his finishing rate. I think... You know, he kind of just had some shooting percentage struggles, but he was putting pucks on net. He was playing the game the right way. Uh, he had a really good 
possession game in the minors. Um, Eric, by stat tracking, said he was far and away the best forward in the minors for Milwaukee. He just wasn't getting the scoring going. Um, And I feel like Tolvanen, you know, has a shot to be a guy who is immediately on the second line and plays that role of he's not a dynamic skater. He's not a guy who's going to create a ton for himself off the puck. But um, when when he gets into that scoring position, when he gets in that shooting position, he has a lethal shot. He just has such good placement of it. The release is quick and it's deceptive. Um, he's he's a prospect that I'm really excited for coming up. I feel like, you know, Preds fans are going to be really hard on him because the expectations that they've put on him have been enormous. But I don't think it's totally out of the question that he has a rookie season kind of similar to Denis Garyanov had for the Stars where, you know, he doesn't he doesn't put up a buttload of points per se, but he has like, you know, a 35 point season where he scores 20 goals. Uh maybe get some power play time or something like that. The other, the other one I would mention, maybe not so much a forward who would uh, potentially have some impact or something like that, but uh, Trevor Davies. Uh, did I just say Trevor Davies? Davies? I thought you were saying Jeremy Trevor Daly for a second. Yeah, no, Jeremy, Jeremy Davies. Jeremy Davies. Uh, really, really interesting defenseman. I don't know what kind of a role they think they have to use him in because he's, you know, a very offensive-minded guy. He's a dude who's going to cheat. He's going to try to play up in the zone a little bit more than a coach would maybe like. He'll give them palpitations, but uh, he's he's just really fun to watch. He's one of the better defensive prospects in the system, if not the best. Uh, we could debate that between him and Allard. But uh, they, they clearly like him a lot because they got him back in the Subban trade. Uh, he's been getting good minutes in Milwaukee. The coaches seem to like him down there. Um, so if they if they do decide, you know, we're going to just do the best true talent third pairing that we can make, uh, I think Davies would be an interesting choice for that. He's he's probably the best pick that they could have besides if they really don't want to put a lard in there. Um, but, yeah, he, he would be interesting. I also think if Dante Fabro continues his struggles with Ekholm, uh, I have I have a feeling that it won't be nearly as big of a problem as it was this year because Faber is not going to be a rookie anymore. Uh, they might have developed a little bit better chemistry, which was something that we saw as a consistent problem this year. But uh, Davies would be a guy who would be a really good complement for Fabro if he gets bumped down to the bottom pair by a free agent signing or something like that. But I, I severely doubt that will happen. So I, I'd probably have to go with Ellie Tolfin as my pick. Can I throw out a name nobody's thrown out yet for the second line? Do it. Callie Yarncroke. Whoa. Bold. And I, I don't think it's bold because watch, I mean, just watch Yarncroke the past three years. You know, he, he is a guy who plays to the line he's on. He, I mean, we saw, I think we were talking about this the other day, Sean. Yarncroke played with, um, I think, Joe Hansen and Arvidsson for a while and played fantastic. Mm-hmm. Then went down to the fourth line, played with um, Sissons and Watson, and was also fantastic. So I think he's that guy that, you know, maybe if there's a couple skill guys, either in the minors or juniors, Tomasino comes to mind, um, who's not quite ready yet. I think Yarncroke can come in and play a style of play. He's not going to score 30 goals or anything, but I think he can do enough to create space and create plays for Duchesne and whoever else is on that line. I think if you had him 
on that second line with Duchesne. And, you know, Duchesne's really good in the transitional uh, aspect of the game. And you've got someone like Yarncrow creating space. If you put in Tolvanen um, and gave him that space, I think, I think he would do wonders on the second line. But at the same time, um, if you have that kind of setup with those two other guys, uh, even with, say, Tomasino not being quite ready, not being ready to come out of the oven just yet, um, that kind of space he could do really well too, especially if they're playing with the uh, first or second pair um, on the ice at the time. That would be a really good opportunity for him to uh, have some room to work his magic as well. I have, I have one more potential second-line guy that I think like does not get talked about enough because we think of him as a fourth-liner. I, I want to throw out Colin Blackwell. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what you guys think about that, but um, I when you were talking just then, it kind of clicked for me. If you make, uh, I think that's fair. Yeah. If you if you make a line combo where you have Duchesne as the guy who's driving transition, which works, um, and he can be a secondary playmaker. Blackwell has some of the best passing touch and vision of anybody on the team this year. Um, he he just has eyes in the back of his head. He made some crazy plays with Johansson work. I think he's flashed that kind of talent before. Um, and he's definitely a guy where, you know, if you want to inject the top six with uh, guys, you know, are going to be giving top of the line effort every single night. This is a dude who's playing for his contract. This is a guy who's probably not going to get more than a one or two year extension with the predators. He's been a fringe NHLer for a lot of his career and he showed out last year. I think he deserves a chance uh, to crack that area of the lineup. And I think the chemistry, if you put him with Tolvanen and Duchesne, would be awesome because you can have him as the guy who's dealing from below the goal line. You have Tolvanen as the finisher, and then Duchesne is the secondary shooting and passing option, which is where I think he's best suited when he's the guy who can do either of those things rather than having to be the primary playmaker, the primary trigger man. Um, he's definitely a guy who likes to shoot and that's something that we saw drop off the grid a little bit this year. But if you're looking to get him back into 20 or 30 goal scoring form, I think having the shot threat of Tolvanen on the opposite side and then Duchesne to clean up rebounds, be the guy who's uh, collecting the puck and then making the decisions with it is a pretty ideal position to put him in. So that, that kind of clicked for me just now, but it makes a lot more sense than I would have initially thought. So it, it sounds like there are a lot of options that we didn't really think about um, and maybe the situation isn't quite as dire as we had initially thought. That sounds about right, yeah. Can't wait we'll to see Austin, Austin Watson on the second line wing next year. <laughs> Don't yeah, you put that in that's... Don't you put that in um, <laughs> so, so real quick uh, before we um, start to wind down with the Predstock, uh, Sean, anything else from the press conference stand out today? Um, okay, so uh, let me. I, I made some notes, and uh, maybe if you want to throw out some more trivia while I just briefly look back to see if there's anything I thought was really important, that would be that would be a good time to throw out some more trivia. Okay, all right. So this was my trivia question of the day. All right. So on Twitter, we asked uh, earlier who were the two Predators draft picks who had their names in the cup. It was Andrew Hutchinson and Patrick Hornquist. Here's a remix to that. Who was the first Predators draft pick to score a goal in an NHL Stanley Cup Finals game? Oh, good Lord. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. Uh, Would, 
No. Would you like one hint? Sure. Yes. This person holds a very, very big playoff milestone for the Preds. Uh, Joel Ward? No, that doesn't Not Joel Ward. Uh, Earlier than Joel Ward. Wait, did Joel Ward ever play in a finals? Yeah, wait, he did. San Jose. Uh, but no, this was this was long before Joel Ward. Long, I have long no clue. Before Joel. I'm trying right. to think. Don't don't tell me yet. Uh, give me like another thirty seconds. One more hint, Eamon. All right, go. Uh, this guy played for the Flyers, just not in the Stanley. Scotty Upshaw. Scotty Upshaw. No. Scott Hartnell. No. Adam Hall. Okay. okay. Uh, Adam Hall, two, 2008 Adam with Hall? the Pittsburgh oh Penguins. My God. Yep, 2008 with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So he was on the Penguins in 2008 when they lost the Stanley Cup, but he was not on the team the next year when the Penguins won the Stanley Cup. So Hall, unfortunately, never won a Stanley Cup. I, I completely forgot he was a flyer. I'm going to be honest with you. I was thinking like a... Ryan Parent or Scotty Upshaw, not him. But, yeah, damn, that's a good one. And, of course, you know the other Predators major milestone he has? I have no idea at all. The first playoff goal in Nashville Predators history. Well, that's sad that I didn't know that. Yeah, six, 16 seconds into their first ever playoff game, Adam Hall scored the first right? That yep against the Red Wings, first ever goal. So Dang. there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Game wow. trivia for the day. That worked really well because guess what? Yeah. Do you have notes? I'm ready to go. All right. Now, okay, let's, Sean, just what really stuff from the press conference. Okay, let's let's talk tourists. Okay, let's. Let's talk tourists because there's been a lot of discussion. In fact, I commented on the opening of the uh, the buyout period that I felt like I was on tourist watch and I hated it because it's it's been often bandied about that the Predators are going to buy out Kyle Turris. And it, it seemed like such a foregone conclusion that I, I didn't expect to make it through day one of the buyout period without hearing something about that. Yet the day has come, the day has gone, and several days have passed since then. And... Still nothing. Um, so Poyle was asked directly about this. You know, are you leaving that option on the table as far as how to deal with the tourist situation? And what he said was, you know, and it kind of came with the uh, the kicker of, you know, we noticed that his play did improve under Hines and that he, he definitely agreed with that statement that he thought Kyle's play improved under Hines. He felt like he's trying to get a good idea of, what his team's, what his players' values are, I think, on the trade market. Um, he said he speaks with about 10 other managers a day. Um, I'm assuming that it's about players and who's available, who could be available, at what price they're available, all of those different things. Um, so he said that it's there are conversations with Kyle and his agents, um, and he feels like he wants him to get his game back. Um, thinks that maybe it's impacted his value, which I would read Poyle as saying his tradeability. 
um, because uh, I think they're just weighing what they should do, and I don't think he wants to take any option off the table. So I think what once you see qualifying offers start and you, he thinks there's going to be a lot of differences this off season, as opposed to other off seasons, because he thinks there are going to be a lot of guys um, who aren't going to get qualifying offers and going to be, or will be allowed to walk that normally would have been resigned very quickly, but this is all due to the flat cap. So he thinks there'll be a lot of guys who will then become available at much lower prices than you would expect them to get. And then of course, the problem, you know, for me thinking about that is it seems really unfortunate for some of the guys that were set to get big raises because, you know, this is their chance to negotiate and get something really good. Um, and they might end up not getting that. But that also means for the Predators that there may be some guys who are available for less money than they thought. And that could change the situation and how they end up dealing with tourists. Of course, you know, he doesn't want to rule anything out. So there's always the possibility that, um, they don't have any good way to move him or that, you know, they're going to be able to move him and have to retain less money um, in some kind of trade or, or something like that. So I think, I don't think they've ruled anything out, but I would, I'm still going to say expect to buy out at some point um, in the future with Taurus. That was going to be my question was whether you saw any Avenue that Kyle Turris is playing with Matt Duchesne on that second line next year. I, you know, I, I like Kyle Turris. I believe in Kyle Turris. And I think that if he were given the, I guess the word is uh, faith of the people that are paying him and are deciding his playing time, that I think he would flourish. But uh, unfortunately I don't think he's going to get that. And therefore I don't, I don't think he'll be back on the ice in Predator Gold or Yellow for uh, next season. I was going to say, do you think this is a situation where, you know, maybe it's just there's there's been too much that's gone on with the tourist situation that it's just better for everyone for a clean start? Because, you know, it's not out of the question that, you know, obviously Kyle Turris played very well second half of the year. Um, I would say he was one of the best Fords that the Preds had under John Hines, at least the most consistently good Fords. Um, so, I mean, for me, it seems like in a normal situation, this would just be a lot of people would be, oh, yeah, you know, Kyle Turris, this is going to be a bounce back year. But it, it, it does seem to me that there's just been, I guess, too much, you know, with the Laviolette benching. Um you know, Terrace's name has been on the trading block since, you know, before P.K. Subban was traded. You know, I, I think to me it just seems like a situation that if all of that stuff hadn't happened, like if there wasn't so much noise, if there wasn't so much where's Kyle Terrace going conflict, I, I feel like they'd be open to giving him one more year. I think so. Um, and I, I really wish that were the case. I think, and I don't necessarily know you know, what, what transpired. I mean, it, it still just uh, baffles me. And I think, you know, something that Hines said after he got hired um, was very telling because he was clearly kind of distinguishing a primary difference between himself and Peter LaViolette when he, he said, and I've, I've referenced this a few different times when I've spoken about it, but something Hines said was that 
you know, when you're not playing for me, I'm going to be very direct with you about why you're not playing. And we're going to talk about what you need to do in order to get that playing time back or to get that spot back. And I'm going to give you action steps that you can take to get back to that playing spot. And we will meet every couple of days to evaluate how you're doing on those things until you've earned it back. And and that's something that I really feel like if you noticed in the qualifiers, he didn't make a lot of roster changes um, from night to night. And I think what, you know, one of the reasons for that was he knew what he had. Um, he knew how he could expect those guys to play and he wasn't going to shake things up. So if you're looking at, you know, the situation with LaViolette, it seems to me, you know, LaViolette had the line blender. He was moving things around constantly. And it also seemed to me that Heinz comments were um, not necessarily like, you know, refuting or, or, saying, hey, I'm the opposite of LaViolette, but it seemed like it was kind of him acknowledging that, you know, look, this is how I operate. I think the last guy just kind of benched you and didn't tell you why. And I don't think that was a good way to do things, and I'm not going to do that. And you notice that Kyle, quote-unquote, stayed in his good graces, which I hate using that term because, you know, it makes it sound like he'd done something to be out of them in the first place, Um, which if you look at Kyle Turris, he certainly doesn't seem like a boat rocker, um, that would be making big waves and causing major problems on the team. So it seems a little bit weird to kind of say that he needs to stay in someone's good graces. But at the same time, it seems to me like a lot of being in Heinz good graces means that you're doing what he expects you to do on the ice. And as long as you're doing that, then you're going to keep keep your spot. And and I think he held to that during the um during the the qualifying round. So um I I wish there were a way that tourists could come back and have another chance, especially with a lot of the opening spots. It would, it would be a really easy move to put him back into the, uh, into the second line, um, you know, and maybe doing that swap out with, with Duchesne like they had done several times, but I, I'm not really sure how that's going to go. I, I really think uh, that we've seen the last of tourists in gold and, uh, or at least in predators gold. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think the next couple of weeks are going to be really telling, and I think we'll have a lot more answers um, probably not too long after the draft because then things will really get moving. Yeah, uh, just a quick comment. Like, I feel like um, the main the main thing that I kind of appreciated about Hines when he came in was definitely that communication. I think the big thing that frustrated me with the decision-making by Peter Lavula is, like, if you're – if you're taking players out of the lineup and you're winning, um, then maybe that's fine. But they weren't playing well with Turris out of the lineup. He was one of consistently the better players towards the beginning of the year before that happened. And it kind of frustrated me because I was like, all right, it's one thing to take a guy out of the lineup and be like, you know, we're just putting the best lineup out on the ice. It's another thing for you to take Turris out of the lineup and put Austin Watson in there. And then you lose like, three or four of those games and for you to tell me, yeah, this is still the best decision possible for the lineup. So I think that's what um, and like his attitude of, I don't need to tell you anything. Nobody needs to know anything. We're just going to, I'm going to make decisions and that's the way it is. Um, that's the actions of a guy who uh, should be coaching a playoff contender 
or a team that's solidly in the top three in the division, if not better than that. And instead, we were a team that was on the fringes of wild card contention to in the wild card the whole year. And uh, at points, we looked worse than that. So I, I don't know. It was just kind of an attitude thing. I really don't think any of that had anything to do with tourists having an attitude in the locker room. I think it was mostly just Laviolette genuinely thought that he was making a decision that was improving the lineup. And then when people questioned him about it, he decided that he didn't have to answer to anybody or anything, which I guess is kind of fair if you're talking to the media, but it doesn't do anything to help the situation. And the fact that tourists was scratched. Yeah, we just lose Eamon. I think we've lost Eamon. Uh, I think, think Tenorti showed up. <laughs> dragged him uh, out. Uh, if Jared Tenorti is listening, please bring us back in one piece. Well, yeah. we uh, were about to have to sign off, but I'm, Sean, I'm going to leave you with one question uh, in two sentences or less. Ooh. How well does Peter Laviolette do in one? Did you say two sentences or less? Yes. Hmm. That counts no, as one sentence, yeah. Wait, what counts as one sentence? Hmm. Counts as no, one sentence. No, that's, <laughs> that's garbage. Um, okay, let's let me try this. Um, if I had a word limit, it might be better. I think the Washington Capitals will make a very deep playoff run next season. That's one, right? That's one. Okay. However, I feel like they will start to suffer from the, uh, what I will call the Laviolette problem that we've seen in uh, Nashville and also in Philadelphia. That was, that was a, uh, that was not a separate sentence, by the way. Um, I think we'll start to see Washington suffer from that syndrome sooner than we did on the Predators. I tend to agree with you. I think we're going to see a couple good years. And then when Ovechkin starts to get a little bit older and, you know, Oshie and some of these players have contracts come out, uh, we are going to see some very interesting times. Yeah. I think, I think that you're going to have some players on that team that will be a lot more outspoken about it too. Yeah, I mean he's he's not a bad coach. I just think he's a good coach in a very specific situation. Yeah. All right. Well, we are pushing an hour, so that is going to do it for us. Uh, again, we do these one timers. Um, you know, a couple times a week. Anytime there's some big spreads news, uh, I believe we're going to have another one coming up here right before the draft. So that should be interesting. Eric Denay should be. Uh, jumping on with his prospect ratings. Um, but in the meantime, you can follow us on, on the forecheck, read our articles, leave comments, say hi, um, or listen to our podcast, wherever our podcast yeah. is out. All kinds of good stuff. Thanks again to locker room, um, for posting us and, uh, signing off. I'm Nick Morgan, Sean Smith. I'm, and of course, my my absent son, Eamon Smith. Yeah. May may he be in a better place now. <laughs> That's not here. 
All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see you soon.